Welcome to the Let's Think About That podcast, where we don't just react. We'll break it down and think about it. We're going to talk news, the law, sports, whatever we're thinking about. We're your hosts, Ed Yeager and Lee Allen. Lee, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, Ed. I hope you are. I am well. It has been a busy week. Good busy I guess we get, uh, Well, I guess you know, it just makes the time go by. So I guess that's good busy. That's right. And it gives us something to talk about. You know, when we started doing this podcast, we said there's enough crazy stuff coming out of Washington that there'll always be something to talk about. That's right. They, um, right. they keep us entertained and, and, and keep us on our toes, whether they mean to or not. Now, this week, the crazy stuff isn't just from Washington, it's from Europe. That's right. There's um, diplomacy going on in Europe. What do you think about that? I don't know. I, I'm troubled. I, I think... Um, I think the president, um, he sort of was placed in a position of appearing to beg for the summit. Putin got his um, his pipeline before the summit. It sort of gave him, I think, all the leverage. Um, and uh, he appeared strong, and, and I don't think the president did. You know, and, and then, you know, he had his several, uh, what I'll call, press conferences slash press availability slash photo opportunities um, at uh, like pro forma sessions or something. And he, he just, he did not come across as on his game. And then today he, he referred to president Putin as president Trump. Yeah. And, and I have some audio of that, but before we even get to that, let me ask you about this because I've heard two schools of thought about summits. Uh, and one is that, um, and, and it goes to what you said about well, why, is, why did Putin get, the, get this opportunity? But one of the, the schools of thought is that you shouldn't have a summit unless you have something that you have negotiated already, something you're going to announce, some achievement that's to be made. Otherwise, you're just giving some type of respectability to the other party. Um, I kind of take the opposite view, which is, you know, they shouldn't be meeting all the time. That's what the Secretary of State or the Foreign Minister does. But I, I'm, I'm kind of okay with the President meeting with foreign leaders, even if there's not to be anything expected of it. You know, back when Obama ran for President, someone asked if he would meet with the Iranian President with no preconditions. He said yes. So, you know, a lot of conservatives will own him about that. And I was kind of okay with that. I don't, I really don't mind as long as you're not giving away the store, which he kind of did later with the JCPOA. Um, and then they criticized Trump for meeting with the North Korean guy because it gave him some legitimacy. So what do you think about the whole idea of having a summit meeting? I don't think, I guess I, I just, uh, in a nutshell, I agree with you. I, I don't think it makes a lot of sense to only meet when others have laid out the groundwork towards some agreement and then the president and, and whatever head of state from another country meet and, and actually clinch the deal and announce it. I mean, that's all well and good and, and necessary from time to time, but I, I don't see uh, the harm, if you will, in sitting in our president, whoever it might be, sitting down with some foreign leader and having a chat, as the, as our friends across the pond would say, uh, as long as they're not you know giving away the store or, or, or whatever. I, I just don't think they're... That necessarily can be anything but helpful as long as the president is prepared and and, and is able to uh, remain what's the word uh, consistent and, and and you know with a firm uh, 
set of goals in, in his or her mind that, that may just be, you know, we just need to sit down and look each other in the eye and talk and kind of get to get to know each other. I, I guess to my way of thinking, that can't be bad. Um, you know, it may not necessarily be a positive, but the effort seems to me would be good. Yeah, Winston Churchill said something like better to jaw, jaw, jaw than war, war, war. Something that's right. to that effect. Uh, that's exactly it. I mean, I, I just don't see how that can be a bad thing. And I agree with you. I don't see anything wrong. I mean, to, to say that uh, Obama or Trump should not sit down with the Iranians or the North Koreans sort of sort of uh, turns a blind eye to the reality of the fact that the Iranians and the North Koreans are adversaries to enemies and they're out there and they don't seem to be going away anytime soon and uh, the, the the opportunity to at least see if there might be some sort of common ground or middle ground or some effort to build a bridge can't be bad. Yeah, but you're right. The, the issue here is, you know, whether or not Biden was prepared and able to do this. And, and I have some audio here and I want to I want to play this first clip and get your response to it. Uh, it's a press conference where a reporter asked Biden if he still thought uh, Putin was a killer. And he actually sat, sat down in an interview with Stephanopoulos back in April, I think, and very clearly said he thought that. But his response this time was just a little different, shall we say. In a weekend interview, Vladimir Putin laughed at the suggestion that you had called him a killer. Is that still your belief, sir, that he is a killer? <laughs> Answer the first question. <laughs> I'm laughing, too. They actually, I. Well, look, I mean, he has made clear that. Uh, uh, the answer is, I believe he is in the past essentially acknowledged that he was uh, there are certain things that he would do or did do. But look. Um, when I was asked that question on air, I answered it honestly. But it's not much of a I, I, I don't think it matters a whole lot in terms of this next meeting we're about to have. And I guess I should have warned people before I played that video. But that long, silent part in the middle, that was Biden just standing there. Yeah, it was awkward. It was very it was, it's almost sad. I think that he really you know, his failure to answer aside from the awkward pause, really was a mistake and a problem for him. It seems to me that he, he should have either said yes or no, and then maybe tried to explain. Um, I don't know would probably have been the best answer because he was so strident in his opinion in April. Uh, on the this, I think it was on this week program. Um, I think no, but here's why I still think we should talk or you know, that kind of answer would have been would have been better. I, I find it very hard to believe that he was not prepared for that question. You know, you and I probably disagree with most, if not all, of the of the people in, in the Biden administration whose job it is to prepare the president uh, with his various briefing books and, and whatnot for, for these press conferences, for the summit in particular. And there's some very smart people. Um, even though we disagree with them, there's no question about their, their IQ and their capabilities and their talent. And the fact that somebody didn't anticipate that question based upon that interview uh, and have a 
uh, a practiced answer of some sort is 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 not good. And and if there was such a thing, and the president stumbled, forgot, whatever, that's not good either. And it suggests it suggests a problem beyond what I'll call inexperience, which is you know this is his first foreign trip, um, and I'm sure that you know there's an extra. Um, an extra layer of nervousness, frankly, human nature to, to, you know, you've done it three times. You're a little bit more secure and confident in your approach. And people can say, well, you know, he, he, he was on the foreign relations committee and, and had a lot of uh, foreign policy type experience as a senator to the extent a senator can have foreign policy experience. But it's still his first trip as a president. First trip as a president, but he I mean, he also spent eight years as vice president. He did. And he met with a lot of these people. He did. It's, it's, I think it's a little different when it's when you're making all the decisions and 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 versus when someone else is uh, or you're just a senator. I say just a senator. You're the senator and the Senate's job is not really to make foreign policy. That's the president, uh, the president's function. So I, I think that's different. I really there were several of those uh, clips that we've seen this week and that. that that pause where he didn't say anything was just—it really is it's bad. And it's yeah, sad. yeah. And I, let me play the other clip, and then I'll respond to what you just said. But okay. let me set this other clip up first because there was a confusion when Biden starts talking about Syria and Libya, and the questions about Syria, and then he just starts throwing Libya in there, and then he goes back and forth in the answer. And I don't mean to confuse it, but it was so confusing already that I don't know what else to say about it. But I, I, that's kind of the context in which this occurred. Here it is. Um, we could work together with Russia, for example, uh, in, uh, in Libya. We should be opening up the, 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 the passes to be able to go through and provide, uh, provide uh, um, food assistance and economic assi- I mean, vital assistance to uh, a population that's in real trouble. I think I'm going to try very much hard to, uh, it, it is, and by the way, there's places where I shouldn't be starting off and negotiating in public here, but let me say it this way. Russia has engaged in activities which are, we believe are contrary to international norms, but they have also um, uh, bitten off some real problems they're going to have trouble chewing on. And for example, the rebuilding of uh, of, uh, of Syria, of uh, of Libya, of you know, this is they're there. You know that part about biting off some problems they're going to have trouble chewing on was just awkward linguistically. But you know, you could kind of it may be endearing to some people. It's just, yeah. oh, those crazy old Uncle Joe. Sure. You know, my concern. And my response to what you said before is that I think his uh, staff has been running the show and that they have done a, um, well, I disagree, as you say, but, you know, an admirable job in how they manage the communication that's coming out of the White House uh, because they're telling him what to say every time he says something. And for them to let him go off message on this first piece about Putin being a killer seems totally unprepared. And he seemed unprepared, and and I'm not being partisan about it, but it's concerning when you listen to how he spoke previously, and he sounded either unprepared or in decline. 
Uh, and it's been a long trip. Maybe he was just just tired, but just he tired. did not sound like the type of strong leader you want negotiating with with the, the head of Russia. I think you're right. Um, I, I um, and, and you know the this afternoon, well, he had a press conference post meeting with Putin. Putin had a 45 minute press conference, and then the president had one. He he made mention at, at the start of his press conference that quote they have given me a list of the people that I'm going to call on, which he seems to get all the time, and he makes reference to it. He's made several references on this trip. Uh, publicly about uh, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this or answering this or those kinds of things. And the que- that begs the question of with whom? You know, who is it that you feel beholden to that, that could punish you for doing something that you want to do uh, or saying something that you want to say? As and the it, president of the United States. Exactly. And it feeds into what many would want characterized and, and maybe rightly so as a conspiracy theory that, you know, there's the Wizard of Oz behind the green curtain pulling the strings and Biden only does what he's told to do and, and says what he's told to say. Um, and and it, that kind of an approach, you know, Donald Trump, uh, warts and all, when he had a press conference, he questioned and, and he, you know, he didn't he didn't can choose based on some list that someone had given him. And I noticed, um, as I'm sure you did, that. The, the White House communications folks were lower, trying their hardest to lower expectations. Um, yeah, they were for this for this uh, summit in particular. Um, and then uh, there was, and we talked about this a little bit last week. There's apparently some some friction there with the first lady and the first lady and the vice president. Um, so Are you I talking think, about the comments during the campaign, or has something happened more recently? No, it was more recently. Um, with regard to some things that he said that were relatively innocuous, and I don't even remember from a factual standpoint exactly what they were, uh, but just, you know, just things that maybe um, had contradicted things that he had said earlier and then some things that the, the first lady said that, that might perhaps be portrayed by some as almost Lady Macbeth-like in terms of her mm. controlling him. And then you, 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 I'm sure you saw the, the clip that was early in the in the G7 uh, summit where he's at, I don't know, I'll call it a restaurant, but it's an outdoor covered. Wandering around the patio yeah, and she yeah. comes and it's, takes him by the hand and exactly. takes him away. And, uh, and yeah, he's, he's kind of, it's like an outdoor uh, patio, like you say, or some yeah. type of, of restaurant. And there are tables there and he's just kind of wandering in the middle and right. reporters are yelling at him. And then uh, she shows up from stage right and, uh, takes him by the hand basically and leads him away. And that's, that's the video clip. And yeah. that was, that's disturbing. It, the, the optics were terrible because he looks like he's lost or he's looking for someone or he's not sure what to do or where to go, which doesn't know where yeah. he left his glasses. Yeah. I mean, it, not, it doesn't there. necessarily mean anything, but just a lot of little things like that start to add up and it, it causes, it causes you to have questions. And then he said something then about he was going to get in trouble or, or something, and and you know, there's some other folks there at various tables eating, and they're you can tell they're they're a little bit. Um, yeah, I'm I wasn't sure. sure who those people were eating. Yeah, I don't know. That's strange. Um, and it, and of it, course, the first lady when this whole thing started, she wore this jacket with the 
the word love embroidered on the back of it. And the media was talking about she was making a political statement in response to something Melania Trump had warned, apparently that they are still they've still got to rebut Trump because they just can't stand him so much. And she's getting in the middle of that, too. And and one of his uh, note cards that he was using uh, in uh, one of the meetings, not today, but prior to today, actually had him It was written down and there was a picture of it on the Internet where somebody had used a zoom lens to, to take a picture and uh, you could read it. And it, and it, it basically had him uh, reading a criticism of the Trump administration, which, you know, that's, I guess that's, it's another issue about whether or not you go overseas and criticize a prior president that will set that aside. But sh- surely, I mean, he ran as anti-Trump. And he's governed for however many days it's been, not even six months. But, you know, as I'm undoing the things that Donald, excuse me, that Donald Trump did. Um, so the, the notion that he would have to have written down as a talking point, a criticism of Donald Trump is sort of bizarre to me. Well, that is strange. And, and you know, back to the issue of staff management, something which. I have noticed several times is that when Biden has some type of press availability, uh, whether he's signing something or answering questions, when it's over, if the camera stays on for a few seconds longer, you start hearing somebody yelling, "Okay, that's it. Everybody out. Mm -hmm. And it's his staff who are forcing the reporters from the room. Sometimes they're still yelling questions at him as they tend to do and they don't get answered anyway but you know the staff is desperate to get them away from him and they're not going to see any more than they are allowed to that's right and and with those questions with this president it's almost like they fear that he will answer or say something in response to those questions whereas with other presidents clinton reagan either bush trump it was more like you knew that the president was going to ignore those questions. And, you know, the Reagan would always pretend like getting off the helicopter. He couldn't hear because Sam Donaldson was always yelling a question. He would pretend like he couldn't hear it and wave and go on in the White House. But it's it's almost like this president is that his staff fears this president will respond. Off message, I'm sure. Is there fear? Exactly. So so the summit's over, uh, the G7's over, the NATO meeting is over, and, and I guess Biden is headed back to the White House now. Yeah, and I, I, I haven't seen it get a lot of play in the press, but I thought the NATO summit, particularly as it relates to the Ukraine, or not the Ukraine, they, that's what the Russians say, they get upset when you say that, so to any of our listeners who might have Ukrainian roots or or whatever, I apologize. But with regard to Ukraine joining NATO, um, and it seemed like it was a done deal. And then the president um, said, no, there are certain things that have to happen uh, before you can do that. And um, I'm not sure that's gotten the play in the press that I would have thought. Or in a strange timing to and you know maybe the timing couldn't be helped because of, of when these two events were. But to talk about that before you go into a meeting with Putin, where you're trying to project strength, and clearly an issue that we should be objecting to is what happened in the Ukraine. Well, that's right. And and you, if you'll recall, uh, before Russia, uh, well, for lack of a better word, invaded and, and annexed portion of the Crimea, which was a part of Ukraine several years ago, Ukraine had asked to join NATO. 
during the Obama administration and was was turned down. And at, when when it, when they were turned down, that's when Russia went in and and, and sort of squatted, if you will, on Ukrainian territory and claimed it as its own. Um, and and then you know this this summer, or, or I'm sorry, earlier this spring, uh, there was quite a bit of buildup of Russian military forces um, in, in areas close to the Ukrainian border and whether it was a threat or a promise or whatever, it was concerning and, and it got some publicity and some press. And then as you the say, Russians called it exercises yeah. and, and, you know, they withdrew after it got attention, but the concern was, well, is it a rehearsal for something else? Right. Is it or a message? message? Exactly. Yeah. A message yeah. to the West. So, so like you say, I mean, it's odd that some hours even certainly a day or two before he sits down with the Russian president. Um, he and he being President Biden seems to be the one who led uh, the effort to keep Ukraine from getting membership in NATO. And I'm not saying I, I'm in favor of Ukraine being in NATO. I, I don't want to give that impression because I'm not sure that I am. But it just the timing of it, as you said, was was a little bit odd. You know, last week we talked about the. Um the BBC, the Biden border crisis and how bad it's gotten there. Mm-hmm. And there was an announcement made just just today, just a few hours ago. Let me play a clip of that. This is uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott, who is going to respond as a state governor to try to deal with the crisis that's hitting his state. I will announce next week the plan for the state of Texas to begin building the border wall in the state of Texas. So apparently uh, he's going to announce that Texas is going to make a $250 million down payment on construction along the border. They're going to build the wall that Biden has stopped construction on from the Trump administration because they don't see any other way to deal with the problems that they are facing. And frankly, they're probably spending a fortune on law enforcement, on social services, uh, just in response to the uh, the massive amount of immigrants that have been coming across the border, they are indeed, and it's it's. Um, I, I guess it's a um, an effort to 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 do something about it, but it's also probably a savvy political move on the part of the governor of Texas to shore up his base and and perhaps establish his bona fides for for twenty twenty four or beyond with the with the Republican base. You know, yeah, the, I'll be interested to see if the governor of Arizona does anything now. Yeah, uh, the the interesting thing, and getting back to uh, what you said, you know, about us talking about this last week, because I, I think we talked about the vice president's interview with Lester Holt, where he asked her about going to Europe, and she said, "Well, we've been to Europe. I mean, uh, not Europe. We've been to the border." He asked her about going to the border, and she said, "We've been to the going to, uh, to the border." And he said, but you haven't. And she said, well, no, but I haven't been to Europe either. And so, you know, there was that whole, but but there's some chatter on the Internet this week that seemed to, uh, well, it didn't seem to, it suggested that that was a, that was a, not a mistake on her part uh, or not a failed effort at a joke on her part, but rather was a pointed barb at the First Lady with regard to this trip that the president was going, getting ready to take to Europe. And they, I guess the supposition or, or the, the suggestion is that there is this friction between the first lady 
and Ron, is his name Klein or Klein, uh, the chief of staff? Ron Klein, the chief of staff, um, yeah. And, and, and the vice president and others um, with regard to who's really in control of the Biden uh, administration's uh, agenda. Um, and, of course, all of that presupposes that Joe Biden himself is not in control of, 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 of his agenda or his administration's agenda. And I don't think we've, we've, we know that for sure. I think, as we discussed, the things we've seen might tend to indicate that perhaps others certainly have a huge voice. But I well, found that are, interesting. Are you saying that the suggestion is that the vice president's statement was implying that she should have been going to Europe for all of these events along with or in lieu of the president? Yes. And I think okay. it's along with because I don't think she could probably sell in lieu of. No, um, definitely not yes, the summit. Yes. I, but I, that, is, that is interesting. That is yeah. exactly what, the, what they were saying. Well, I mean, it was it was a it was a bizarre statement to make. So I guess people were trying to make some sense of it. That's right. They're just trying to to sort of line the pieces up and have them fit. But you know, you have to point out it's been another week. We talked about this last week. It's it's been another week, and she still hasn't been to the border. I don't think she's been to Europe either. Um, also, don't think you see any progress being made along the border. The numbers are still staggeringly high. But she did host all of the female. In females, in at least in the Senate, I'm not sure the House females were invited um, to a dinner. And I see on the uh, on Twitter, yeah, she threw was, a party in Washington. Yeah, that uh, she made the cheese puffs herself, oh. and apparently they were quite tasty. I'm not sure that uh, the vice president would would want um, sort of that kind of publicity as far as and she would want more uh, substantive kudos. But uh, that that was what the what the remarks that I saw were with regard to mm. cheese. Well, maybe we can get the recipe for that by the next That's episode. Right. We will make them and we'll try them on the air. There you go. So, you know, one other thing, we talked about it last week. Uh, you brought it up and I didn't know anything about it, but you mentioned hearing stories about BlackRock, which is a large investment management firm, almost a hedge fund, purchasing large amounts of real estate. And uh, I didn't know anything about it, so I started doing a lot of research on it and reading articles that are out there. And apparently this has been going on for months. The Wall Street Journal wrote about it back in April, but now it's been picked up in the, in the Twitter sphere and, and some other social media outlets, and it's just getting a lot of attention. But apparently a lot of institutions are purchasing real estate because the Federal Reserve has kept interest rates so low for so long, and they're trying to make their... Uh, their investors, their beneficiaries, happy because they promise these huge rates of return. And so one way they're trying to do it is to buy real estate and then start renting it out. So there are a couple of consequences to that. Uh, one is that the, the way the housing market is going and with prices continuing to go up and up, this just continues that path uh, because there's institutional money that's flowing in to force the prices up. That has a real effect on the average person who wants to buy a house. The other issue which has been talked about is what's the effect on these neighborhoods when the percentage of renters go from you know, some minor percentage to, in, in some cases, almost the entire neighborhood. Uh, one article that I read was a, a home, a community, a developed community in Texas, 
where the builder, I think it was D.R. Horton, they basically sold every home that they had built to one of these institutions to start using as rental properties. Wow. And the, the conspiracy theorists out there, and I'm, I'm not one, but I think there is at least a point or a potential point they make is that, as you say, it's quite inflationary. It devalues the dollar, and it seems to, as it's driving the price up, hinder, maybe even curtail uh, the middle class's ability to purchase a home, which has always been the number one uh, asset of most families and the the way that families build wealth in this country is home ownership. And then, of course, if you if you read into the the great economic reset as espoused by the World Economic Forum, they don't want private property in any shape, manner or form. They want everyone to be um, uh, a renter or, or, or and, and they say you know, everybody will be happier, but uh, if you, so this does this feed into that, and is it some sort of conspiratorial effort to accomplish that? And who knows? I, I tend to doubt it. I think you're right. I think it's a question of these uh, huge funds on Wall Street looking for a place to put their cash uh, and to try to secure a yield or a return on investment that's consistent with what their customers have experienced in the past and what they expect going forward. And when we're talking about return on investment, the inf- this information is available on the blackrock.com website. So it's public information, but you can look at their returns uh, in a number of their real estate funds and just looking at the list because they have a lot of returns, but uh, you know, year to date, 17.5%. 16.3, One year return, 32%, 38%, 36%. Here's one that's 76%. Those are home these runs. Are, that's right. Those These are huge rates of return in the investment community. Uh, what a yeah, bank paying, 2%, something like that, maybe? 2%, maybe. yeah. Yeah. Now, clearly, they would never take 2% in anything, whether it's stocks, right. bonds, whatever. They're working for, for much higher amounts, but this shows why they're moving into real estate. And it also shows why if you're out there looking for a home right now, why you're running into problems. I can't say it's happening in your neighborhood, but it's happening to the housing market in a significant number now. And in in a significant number of places. It's not just one particular state or one particular area of the state. It seems to be throughout the country. Yeah, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens to the housing market for that reason. So, um, you know, one other story that's uh, we've talked a lot about baseball and uh, it's because we're both baseball fans, but also because it's baseball season. But there was there was something that happened this week in baseball. And uh, you want to set it up before I play this clip? Yeah, it's it it has to do do with at least I think this is the clip you're going to play. It has to do with uh, pitchers uh, using foreign substances not to. Uh, throw a spitball uh, to use the vernacular or load the baseball to make it do things that it otherwise wouldn't, but to improve their grip on the ball so that they can, you know, more bite on the curveball or, or have a little more uh, force on the fastball, or whatever, um, just to put it on their hands. And typically, um, there are any number of ways to do it, but one of the big ways currently is to use a particular brand of uh, sunscreen. They usually put that on an arm or a hat or somewhere, and then 
when the rosin from the rosin bag that's on the mound uh, in every game mixes with that, it becomes sticky, and the players or the pitchers can and use that to improve their grip on the ball. Yeah, and another product is called Spider Tack, and it's a uh, it's a manufactured substance, which is is kind of like pine tar or glue, but it allows that same stickiness. Pitchers get a better grip, and it changes their spin rate and these technical aspects of it. So uh, pitcher Garrett Cole was asked about that. I guess there's kind of a public feud going on between him and, and some other players. And so he's asked about that at a, a, a press conference, a virtual press conference. And I'll, I'll play his response to that. Well, you hear the question and his response. And I'm just going to warn you, there's a lot of silence in this also. So don't think that your phone has gone dead. But just hang in there a few more seconds, and eventually he'll start talking. But here it is. And have you ever used spider attack while pitching? Um, I don't. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if uh, I don't know quite. I don't quite know how to answer that, to be honest. Um, I mean, there are customs and practices that have been passed down from older players to younger players, from the last generation of players to this generation of players, and um, you know, I I think. Uh, I think there are some things that are certainly out of bounds in that regard. And, and, uh, I've stood pretty, stood pretty firm in, in terms of that, uh, in terms of the communication between our peers and whatnot. Um, you know, and, and I, again, like I mentioned earlier, there's, you know, this is important to a lot of people that love the game. And this is including, including the players in this room, including fans, including, you know, teams. And so if MLB wants to, you know, legislate, some more stuff. That's a conversation that we can have um, because ultimately we should all be pulling in the same direction on this. Now, after that long, awkward part at the beginning, he, he tried to answer, but it wasn't a very convincing answer. I left all of that in there because I didn't want anyone to think that we were taking him out of context. It didn't get much better at the end. Uh, he just started rambling and at least put some words together. Uh, I love the part about, well, I know what other players, older players used to do, and I, I want to respect that. I don't know what that means. Uh, you don't want to cheat, I guess is what you're saying. But you want to use this substance, which apparently is not legal, but it's not cheating. It's, it's, well, MLB responded, and uh, although it took them a few days to respond, and now they've come out with a new banned substance policy, which probably isn't going to make anyone happy because they can't wear sunscreen now. But, I, you know, we've exchanged some messages about this today, Lee, and I, I don't know the answer. I don't know where this is going to go. I think it's just hilarious, though, to hear him discuss this at a press conference. And I just wonder what was going through his head at the time and if he just, you know, it's like a deer in the headlights. I think he was. He was just tap dancing around and he really didn't say anything other than I'm not denying it. <laughs> um, and and I, I think you're right. I think the spider tack is so much more sticky than is the combination of the sunscreen and rosin that it's it's uh that's almost a different animal but but you're right the the idea that the umpires are going to check every starting pitcher twice during a game and there'll be six to eight checks of a pitcher during a particular game on average you know they're already having problems because the games are too long and, and all that's going to do is make games longer sort of backing up a little bit Pragmatic. 
doesn't get a shot in today's game. He doesn't throw 100 miles an hour. Yeah. One of the greatest pitchers of all time. Pitching is about keeping the hitter off balance. You know, you move the ball around, you change speeds, uh, and you get folks out. Placement. It, Placement. Right. Control. Have, it's not always about throwing it as hard as you can. If you can, if you have control and you can change speeds, you can win, and you will win. Balls got put in play. There were not many strikeouts. Games were an hour and a half, maybe two hours. Um, now it's all about strikeouts and home runs. Just trying to throw 100 miles an hour. They got no chance to even move up or even get drafted. Um, and it's it's hurt the game, in my opinion. It also, you know, there have. I think it would help from a pitcher's injury standpoint if if folks could throw within their sort of their comfort zone and not have to try and, and throw out, you know, 100% on every pitch. Um, I think it would make yeah. the game better. It would make it faster, cut down on injuries. And, and I'm also a little bit, um, I guess I'm going to be a, an apostate or, 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 or a heretic in the sense that if, if batters are allowed to use pine tar, particularly in the days of batting gloves, to improve their grip on the bat, I don't see a problem with allowing the pitchers to use some sort of substance. Again, not to load the doctor, doctor the ball, not to load on the ball, but that allows them to improve their grip. I just well, I, I just in response, just in response to that, I think the batters would argue though that there's a safety issue, so the bats aren't flying out of their hands into the dugout or, or somewhere else. You know, whether that's true or not, I don't know. And I don't know how much the grip on the bat matters as much as the grip in the baseball. Well, I think there's a safety issue with the grip on the baseball, uh, particularly on these people that throw hard and are throwing all out every pitch. Uh, if you've got a better grip on the ball, you're less likely to hit somebody. And I think there are probably more injuries from being hit with a pitch ball than they are from it being, being hit with the bat. I just, I don't know. I'm, I like you. Uh, I think I wish I had the popcorn concession for the coming drama. Uh, and we talked about this this afternoon. And I checked the website, as you know, at the American Academy of Dermatology, because I think there's going to be some fallout when they learn that uh, sunscreen is banned in Major League Baseball, because that'll filter down through ultimately Little League and T-ball and everything else. And you know their their uh, their concerns with regard to uh, sun poisoning or sun damage, not sun poisoning, but sun damage to skin over the lifetime uh, of someone who's just beginning to play baseball now. And um, I think I think we baseball fans are in for a treat in terms of the drama. Whether it's good for the game or not is probably a different story. But from what I understand, the pitchers uh, collectively are up in arms because. Uh, you know, they didn't didn't do this over the course of time and come up with a rule and say, okay, we're going to start this in spring training, that kind of thing. It's just, boom, here we go. Um, and, and you you and I uh, saw, I think you sent me a clip of Tyler Glass now of the Tampa Bay Rays uh, who went cold turkey uh, without using the sunscreen and rosin concoction and hurt his arm is out for a period of months is he and he was blaming that on the fact that he couldn't use um uh, the the sticky substance i'm not sure exactly from a a physics standpoint how that works but that's what he was saying and and he said that his problem with it was they didn't give any sort of of uh, timeline and they just threw it in them and threw it at them um and then there's some statistics you know we have all these 
metrics now and spin rate and whatnot. And some of those are suggesting that since that rule was first publicly talked about, that those numbers are going down for pitchers. Other pitchers are saying, no, we just had a bad outing that particular night, that kind of thing. But I, I do think it's going to be yeah. interesting. It will be. You know, one last point on this is that um, when you talk about the, the the officials, you know, searching for banned substances or, or checking the mound, when I saw pictures of Gary Cole's hat, it seemed pretty obvious to me well, there was something on his hat. Yeah. I don't know how they didn't notice that during the game, but it's. Well, I think they yep. probably did, but they just because you could see it and and remember several. And it, years, wa- it wasn't it wasn't just like a small smudge oh. either. It was significant. Yeah. And his hands going right to it. And and you notice too sometimes the that there's a, there's a greasy spot, particularly on the off arm of a pitcher where he's loaded it up with sunscreen or something. And then you'll notice on a hat sometimes there's you can see a big uh, splotch, for lack of a better word, of of the powder from a rosin bag and you wonder Mm -hmm. you know that's where he's in and you remember i don't know it might have been five or six years ago there was a yankees pitcher i don't remember if it was regular season or postseason but i think they were playing the red sox and the opposing team told the umpire to check his neck and there was a dark, almost chocolate syrupy looking, and it was pine tar substance on his neck. And, you know, of yeah, course, he's saying, look at my neck on the other side, that kind of thing. And then they finally found it, and the umpire touched it, and they tossed him out of the game, and he was suspended. But, you know, I think it's there a lot. They just kind of turn a blind eye. Well, the, and the best one, and I know we're way past time. We're going to have to go. But the best one I recall was years ago, and it was a Braves pitcher. And they checked the guy's pockets, and he had a, a nail file in there or something. You remember that? And it he tries Joe to toss Negro. it. Yeah, it was, it was one of the Negro boys. Yeah, it was, and, and he put his hands in his pockets, and it jerked him out, trying to toss it far enough away. that, And, of course, they saw it and the action. I know we always I always ask you what's on your radar, and we've talked for a long time. Any one thing that's on your radar for this week? Um, no, not really. Uh, other than what we've talked about tonight, I think we'll continue to be sort of front and center for 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 some time. Uh, from everything from the the summit to um, the audit that we talked about last week that we didn't really touch on today, and that's fine. And 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 then this thing with baseball, um, I, which I find is just really interesting. It's not well, political, you know. No, it's not. It's not. Just so it, nice it, in twenty twenty one to have. I guess a controversy that doesn't involve politics. Well, so far, someone's going to find a way to screw this yeah, one they up. They probably also. will. They probably. The only uh, politics for, are pitchers versus hitters. For, for me, I just want to see what happens in Texas. I want to know how big this wall is going to be. They say everything's bigger in Texas. So that's what I'll be watching this week. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Let's Think About That podcast. You can contact us at comments at letsthinkpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please click subscribe on your podcast provider and leave us a review.